0: Welcome back to episode three of Truths Explained. I'm Nicholas Tovar.
1: I'm Marcelo Rodriguez.
0: And this is where we interpret and examine world truths from a Christian perspective. Uh, Today in episode three, we are going to be looking at the church Uh, we're going to be looking at a practical aspects of the church. Um, And I hope that this is something that uh, many people will be able to relate to, um, to look at maybe um, the different aspects of the church broken down so that we can uh, have a biblical perspective of those. And not only that, even answering the question, how transparent should I be with my church, or how transparent should my church be with me? Uh, defining what is the church, all those different things. And so uh, I'm excited to, to cover this topic. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Um, I have had a desire for the church for many years, and um, this is one that I am just excited to get to. So, Marcelo, it's good to be here with you, brother.
1: Absolutely, brothers. good to be back. Absolutely. Well, what
0: is the church, Marcelo? What is the church?
1: Church. That is a uh, a very good question, right? Um, and it could, depending on who you ask, you could get a, v- a multitude of different answers, right? But from Scripture, put simply, uh, the church is the body of Christ. Yeah, the bride of Christ. Um, the family of Christ. Mm. But uh, put simply, the church is the uh, group of believers who gather mm. for Christ.
0: Right. You know, I think that. Looking at the church, it's important to look at the things that it's not, right? Right. And uh, for so many people, I I think we lose sight of the fact that we view the church as a building. And I I know there's so many people out there that are like, oh, no, I don't do that, right? But um, if we listen to the language of the way we say the word church— um, that is kind of the way we view it, right? Like, hey, I'm going to the church or uh, I'm, you know, at the church. And rather, I, I think that we need to be very careful on how we see the church. And it's exactly what you said. It's the church is a family, right? And um, the actual word in the Greek is ekklesia. And the word literally broken down is means out from the, that's where the ek means out from And so these are the people who are called out of the world to God. They are God's chosen people. And so the church is God's people. It's the body of Christ, as the scriptures say, Um, and we come together as one body, and we are the church. It doesn't matter where we are located, nonetheless, we are the church. Now, of course, we've got um, the universal church, which is the uh, every believer everywhere on planet earth, or maybe even in, you know, the satellites or something, but uh, nonetheless, every believer makes up the entire universal church, but nonetheless, we have local representations of the church, and um, so that's the idea there. That's the, the premise, if you will, that we are the called out ones, the, uh, the gathering. And it's interesting because that word ecclesia is also used in a negative context in the scripture sometimes. We see uh, a gathering of people, that's that idea, a gathering. Um, and we'll see a gathering of people who are, you know, located in a certain place, and so um, we need to remember that the word literally should be thought of as the gathering, the, the gathering of people. I, I love the word family, right, like, and, and I think that's important, because we don't refer to our family as inanimate object, right, uh, we don't say, hey, I'm going to the family, right, or some aspect of that, of the family being an inanimate object, rather, we say, I'm with my family, right, I am a part of my family, and the same should be true of the church. That's the way that word needs to come into our mind is, is family, right? I, I'm with my church. I am the church, and, I, and I, I know that that maybe belabors that point, if you will, but I see it as so important because we need to reshape that, and we need to have a biblical, kingdom-minded perspective of the word church, and I, and I say that because we are in a time with the coronavirus where the word church is just some religious thing, right, that uh, it's a building people aren't able to meet because of everything going on, and we need to remember that the church is the gathering, and and we we desire that. We long to be together, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but I long to be with my family, right? The same is true with my church. I long to be with my church because we are a family. Together, we are one in Christ.
1: Yeah, and last night at our—our our, our church isn't having service, as many other churches are, you know, because of governmental, reg, um, you know, suggestions. Right. I wouldn't say regulations because they're not really—it's right. It's not a, a mandate, but, you know, right. as we're— we already discussed in the first episode.
0: And we are blessed because we live in Texas, and Greg Abbott did say the church is essential,
1: right? He that's did. pretty awesome. Yes. Yeah. And that's a big amen to that. Yeah. To that one. Um, but yesterday we were looking at Colossians one, and when you there's there's a verse in there particularly, I want to say verse 17, where it says uh Christ or verse 18. Christ is the head of the body of the church. Yeah. Um, and and so we, we look at like interesting how you said. The church is a is a family, mm-hmm. but we don't refer to it as a family. We we tend to look at it in a very like a uh, set pattern of things. And uh, we, with this whole coronavirus right. thing going on, uh, there's repercussions of it. We're not able to gather as we would like to, as mm-hmm. we are so accustomed to. Right, and it, it's just bringing to light some of the the habitual pattern, routine, how we view the church. Right, like you know, it makes you think like there's the brothers and sisters who are losing heart. Right. And they haven't haven't been able to gather because they're like, oh, we can't physically get together in this building without realizing they are still able to come together in contact with the church because it is a family. It is a, a people group. It is the group of bel- believers united by Christ of uh, where Christ is head over that group of people, that body. Right. And but with with family, we think, you know, like, oh, I haven't I haven't seen my I haven't seen my grandma in a while. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see her again, you know, or, you know, I haven't seen my uh, siblings or friends and high school friends in such a long time i can't wait to be reunited with them mm-hmm. if that is true of our relationships and longings and affections for others how is that not true of our church of exactly. our family Do we long for each other and the bond that which unites us with our church family or our family is much greater than any bloodlines right. or any sort of uh societal ties that ties together.
0: Right. I mean I mean I think of the gospels when you know Jesus has a crowd around him and they bring news to him to say Jesus your mother and your brother are outside trying to get in and he looks at them and says who are my mother and my brother except for those who do the will of the lord, right? And right. and That is our family. The church uh, is our family. We should have a longing, a desire. And I think it's important. You you mentioned that word desire, to be together. Why is that? Because the church should have a place in our lives that is intimate. uh, It is uh, transparent. It is necessary. Right um, when I think of my mom and dad growing up, they were necessary in my life because uh, they were teaching me and and they were there to listen whenever I was hurt, when I was going through things. They encouraged me, right? And now, uh, now that I'm a part of the body of Christ, when things when I'm going through certain aspects of life, I need the church so that I can talk to them and be encouraged by them. And um, and we lose that aspect when the church is not that idea of a family, right? When it's the idea of, I just come to a Sunday service, I just come to observe, then we lose the aspect of it being a family, right? You don't come to the dinner table to watch your family talk, right? Or to watch just your dad talk or just your sister talk. No, you come to be a part of, right? And to be a part of the conversation, and I think we're in a very interesting time. You know, one of the things that we have to be very careful with um, this idea of having a, a virtual um, service, right? Because uh, we're having to to figure out ways to do this, and we're grateful that the Lord has afforded us technology to be able to continue to meet and see each other. However, we also have to be very careful that. You know, we don't see this as satisfying, uh, being able to see your pastor on the computer screen or, you know, just a phone call because we need interaction. We need to be with each other, to encourage one another, to be able to be a part of each other's lives, right? Um, And if, if I was just going to church to hear a sermon, then I can just sit at home and you look at YouTube and there's some really good preachers on YouTube that I could just sit there and listen to. However, uh, there's much more to church than just hearing a sermon, right?
1: And yeah, as, as you said, uh, you can just, if it's a matter of, okay, we're having a service now, we're just gonna, um, you know, I I don't even have to get out of bed. I can stay under the blankets, turn on the audio and there we go. We hear our church stream, but church is far more than that. It's not, we do gather together to hear the word of God preached and proclaimed in a faithful way. Absolutely. But we do not, that's not the only thing there is. As you said, you do not just gather at the dinner table to hear someone speak, but you interact in, in, right. in a way when uh, it's given time and place for that.
0: Right. You know, one of the things that we have to see with our churches is that aspect of interaction. How do we interact? How, how do we partake in that? aspect of interaction right and so that's my question for you like what what do we do to be able to interact with people and so that it's not just a service where we're coming and hearing a preacher preach right
1: yeah so i mean i mean personally the first thing that came to my mind is corporate worship right uh you know you and i and our brother Riga, we were so excited about t4g this year (laughs) um I think you showed me clips. I can't remember if it was from T4G or Capitol Hill, um, Mark Devers Church. Both. I, both. I think it was both. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just, you know, and, and I don't want to mean this from a, like a fleshly attraction to this sort of emotional experience. Right. But there's just something beautiful about a corporate body of Christ gathering together to worship in mm. spirit and truth, our Lord and Savior. And, you know, we, I was just so excited about the, you know, 12,000 people all singing, you know, God exalting yes God glorifying hymns and songs and you know just having a, a time of fellowship right a- and at home you you just you just can't you just can't have that Right. because there's a sort of it's the same way um Psalm 42 and you know as as the deer panted for water so panted my soul mm. for you oh god Man. and i think how many of us long to be back with our family with our church right with our, you know and i'm using church and family interchangeably but Ab- le- we absolutely. need to make that clear Right, family is church. Right, the people. Yeah,
0: there needs to be interaction. Right, there needs to be um, this beauty of one voice in the church coming together and praising the Lord and and you know. One of the things that vodi says is that worship does not stop when preaching starts, right? We, st- we continue to worship even when the sermon's going on. We we are sitting there being shaped by the preaching of the word. And then afterwards, our conversation should be shaped by the gospel. And we should be encouraging one another and, and listening to our brothers and sisters in Christ and what they're going through, right? Uh, a pastor that we know, uh, he said this. He said, church is like going to the movies. Today. Right. When it's supposed to be like going to the gym. Right. And, and that's unfortunate. Right. Is that so many people are coming to find their seat to listen to a sermon only to, to remain quiet the whole time and then go home and they're done. Rather, no church is supposed to feel like, man. I went. I put my work in. I, I, I got alone with my brother. I, I asked him, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? When are we going to see each other this week? Right? And that's another aspect of interaction. You know, we don't just have church on Sunday or Wednesday. Right? Those allotted spiritual times in the week where uh, we feel like we get our our fuel on Sunday or our fuel on Wednesday, and then we go the rest of the week. No, we should be longing to be with each other every day. Right? Um, I think Acts chapter 2 is, you know, obviously a good model um, of what that looks like, a good blueprint, if you will. Now, I'm not saying that this is prescriptive, that we must be doing this, but nonetheless, in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those are vital elements that make up the actual function in the life of the church, right? And all of that is just one verse and it's important that we see that the the church is the called out ones we are the ones who um, are different in our world and we should be meeting together in each other's homes and uh, I know this is really hard but we live in in a completely foreign world to that, right? Um, We are the exact opposite. I've gone to other places um, where people are from other countries and, and other nationalities and And they're so open to you coming in their home. You know, I've got family in Mexico, right? And you go there and I mean, you just get random people walking in and out of the house and you're like, Hey, who's that? And and they're like, Oh, that's the neighbor, you know, across the street or, Oh, that's so-and-so. And And you're just like, man, y'all just let them walk in and walk out without knocking or, and it's like, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the way the church should be. We should be so transparent. We should be so involved in each other's life that it's so natural that we're interacting with each other, right? I mean, how often have you been in my home, right? You've been in my home many, many times. Uh, all of our church members have, are, are coming in and out of our home, and and I'm not to I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying we have a desire for that. I have a desire to have you over for dinner and to eat with my family and to interact with my children and to interact with my, you know, with our conversation, right? And there, we're we're losing that. We we have this uh, this Americanized social mindset. That is now a a kind of just social media platform. This is where i'll be transparent it, It's this i'll let you see what I want you to see and everything else I will keep to my chest and I really don't want you asking any more questions, right? And so if you didn't see me posted on facebook, then you're not going to really see much else about my life Rather we should be so involved in each other's lives. I, we should be in each other's homes We should be in each other's business if you will so that we know how to encourage each other, we know where to hold each other accountable, right? And I think that's something that's really important that's not happening today is the accountability aspect of the fellowship that we see,
1: right? Do you think lack of transparency and accountability within our churches uh, is a hard problem? Like, because uh, what what I'm thinking, um, you know, the first and greatest commandment: love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, of all your soul, with all your strength. Right. The second is similar unto this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? And you know, and it's in that order: love God, love people. Mm. And it really is a heart issue. Yeah, are we loving our family, our church members? Because mm. I mean, you're not gonna invite someone into dinner if you did not like them. We we see that even in in you know the uh, in uh, in Jesus the time of Jesus, right. he uh, he would eat with sinners and tax collectors. That's what the Pharisees gave him such a hard time about it. Right. Because to eat with somebody wasn't just like a, you know, um, you're at school, there's no tables open, you're, you take your tray, you're like, okay, I'm going to sit here. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, no, to eat with somebody at that time was a place of honor. Right. It wasn't just you just come in and eat with them. It was, uh, you would see, you were seated by them, they would have a seat for the guest. And that's the thing we would ask, do we value each other and love each other and honor each other so much is that but do we do that and if we don't do that is that the reason why we're not having transparency and we're not seeking communion with each other and we're not desiring fellowship and spending time with each other and we don't have this i guess level of comfort if you will with each other
0: man i think you hit it right on the head of the nail you know it's It's exactly what you just said, where you're disobeying the second greatest commandment of all time, you know, possibly even the first commandment. Why? Because those are equal to each other. You know, Christ said, upon these two commandments, all the law can hang, right? And so, yes, we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. And I want want to just touch on that for just a second. When you think about that first commandment, you know, so many people will say, oh, yeah, absolutely. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, and my strength. Yeah, well, did your life show that? Right, like, it is does your life show that? Because if your life shows that, then anything that is that has to do with the Lord, reading the Bible, praying, you know, um, uh, constant fellowship, devotion. All of that will be so prevalent in your life, right? Um, Everything else will be on the back burner. You know, I hear so often, you know, um, of you know certain parents or certain people saying, "Oh man, but my kid has baseball practice tonight," or "Oh, I I can't do that because I've got to watch the game," or "I got to do this." And it's like, man, what if that was? flip-flopped, right? What if they were telling the baseball team, hey, we can't have practice tonight because we have church Mm. Bible study. You know, oh, we can't, you know, watch the game tonight. Sorry, guys, because I've got to go meet with my brothers and sisters and we're going to have a Bible study at their house, you know, or just have a time of fellowship. That It doesn't ever take precedence. So touching on that first commandment, there might actually be a hard issue with that. But then the second commandment of loving our neighbor, you see, the gospel is probably much harder i believe in america because it causes you to die to yourself right yes. and and that's the aspect of loving your neighbor as yourself right i i have to love somebody more than i love myself and and if if there's somebody listening and they're like well obviously i don't love myself oh really well how much do you spend on taking care of yourself, right? Like how long do you spend on taking care of yourself? Because ultimately we do truly love ourselves, whether or not we want to admit that. And there's some people we don't even want to give the time of day to, and they're in our own church. They are a part of the body of Christ. And so I think there needs to be a heart evaluation that is made, that says, man, I need to look at my relationship with my church. Do I have a relationship that I can say, man, this brother, this sister, they are a part of my family. They are a part of my my walk. They know me inside and out. But rather, so many people, it's their coworkers that know them. It's their their spouses that know the real them. You know, their kids know the real them, unfortunately. And the church does not know the real them. And that's a scary place to be. And one of the aspects that we need to be very careful with is That is a form of what we see in discipleship, right? The church has to set the precedent for how we live our lives, right? And so if the church does not have an expectation of brothers and sisters to be gathering on a daily basis, to be adamant about studying their word, to be adamant about praying, to be adamant about uh, fellowship and, and meeting in each other's homes and breaking bread together, if they are not focused on that, then the church is not healthy right and we we've got to see that you see a church is not healthy because a pastor preaches a good message the church is not healthy because they sing biblical songs a church is healthy when you have the members of the church who are obedient to the word of god right Amen. and they are devotional about everything in their life, to how they live their uh, their life out for the Lord. And that's a healthy church. A, a healthy church obeys the scripture. A healthy church lives out the gospel, right? Not just because they hear it, but because they do it. We don't have to be hearers of the word, but doers also, right?
1: Amen. And and that's something that's important to see in churches uh, where we have um, leadership evaluate the success of their ministry, if you will, right. by numbers, yeah, right. we've like, oh, we've increased uh, followers on social media by ten yeah. percent. That means five percent of those people are now interacting with our, t- uh, and they have all this crazy, you know, these these algorithms, right? And it's it's we do not measure our sermon effectiveness, if you will, by our clever uh, mm. delivery. You mm-hmm. know, Paul said, "I did not come to you bringing an eloquent message with, you know." Hofty words in all these, you know, like the Corinthian leaders were doing, you know, the ones that were seeking their own fame and having building up a, a following based on their eloquence right. and their uh, knowledge, but merely proclaiming the word of God. And uh, I I think you could agree with this as a pastor of a church. The effectiveness of your sermons is not measured by the amount of amens Mm -hmm. or analogies that you receive, but by seeing the hearts of your church members transforms as their minds become conformed to the truth of God and they are submissive in our worshiping God in spirit and truth. And that Mm -hmm. only comes about by a true changing of the hearts as God's word is preached to them.
0: Man, let me brag on our church for just a moment, and um, this has nothing to do with me. It's exactly what you're saying, you know. Um, For the last four years, I've been here, and I've been preaching the word and trying to be faithful to preaching the word. And when this whole coronavirus thing hit, you know, I I got very worried. I was like, oh, man, you know, we're going to have to start canceling our services. And I'll never forget just several of our members came to me, and they were like, no, we, we, we can't close. Like, we understand the risk involved with us being here. And these are all elderly folk, right? But they said, we see that the church is essential for our survival. Oh, praise be you know? God. And one of our widows in the church, I love this woman to death, she comes and she tells me, you don't understand. The church is essential for my survival. And I thought to myself, man, like, Finally, I'm seeing the the fruit of the labor that I have I have spent the last four years on of preaching the word and and you know so many times it's exactly what you say as a pastor you want to hear the amens you want to see the responses but you see them when the, the storms come when the times get hard and your your people are like well why are we getting worried about that right why like like we're still the church you know we're still here and so. Um, I think that it's so important, and, and here's, here's something that, that will help us to reshape exactly what you're talking about. Uh, we need to be reminded of the purpose of the church gathering. The church gathering is not for non-believers to hear the gospel. Yes. Now, I know that for some people, that's earth-shattering, right? The church is not gathering on Sunday morning so that non-believers can hear the gospel. You see, so much of what goes on in the church is man's wisdom and understanding. It is extra biblical, and understand something. Man's wisdom cannot sustain the soul. We have to remember that. Man's wisdom cannot sustain the soul. In other words, watered down, oversized, uncommitted, spectator church is much like a pasture filled with astroturf. To a sheep, it looks amazing, but in reality, that's not much of worth of eating right wow. there's yeah. nothing there to graze upon right And the truth is that's what many churches are trying to follow that's the model they're trying to follow is I want to come to the church that looks good it looks it looks healthy but there's no substance why because it's fake it's it's artificial right? And I'm not trying to uh, be negative towards the church. I just want us to see the reality that so much of what goes on in our churches today is man's wisdom. It's man's attempt to try to build God's church. Listen, it is God's church. He builds his church, right? Um, I, I came into our church four years ago. I was here staring at four people in the face, one of them, my wife, three people at this church. I was sitting there thinking as I was getting ready to preach my sermon, God, what are you doing? Like, why am I just in front of three people? I spent my seminary time, I spent my training uh, at other churches for this moment, and the Lord has been so faithful to us. And now we have maybe 12 people that are some of the most godly biblical people that I enjoy preaching to because i see that the word goes out and it encourages the brothers and and there is food there for them to feed on and we are encouraged as a body in christ and i I think it's so important that we understand that and that's what paul was trying to say in first corinthians chapter two verse three through five he says i was with you in weakness in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching were not persuasive words of human wisdom He said, but in demonstration of the spirit of God and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, right? And so it's important that we remember that so much of what goes on in the church today is man's attempt to build God's church. It is the power of God. It is the Holy Spirit who builds his church. We just need to be faithful to him. That's what's so important, right?
1: So the thing that came to mind is uh, Philippians 1 and Paul's opening uh, statements, his his greetings to the church at Philippi. Right. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance Mm. of you. And just stop and think about that. Right. How many of us could say that about our members of our church? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I have nothing bad to say about you. I even thank (laughs) God for you. Right. (laughs) But so many of us instead are saying, you know, like, God, can you just help this Mm -hmm. brother being such a, you know, what insert blank <laughs> statement. Could you help this right. sister maybe quiet down her gossiping a little bit? Could you help this brother quiet down his gossiping? Because gossip is not is not a, a sex or gender thing. It is a heart issue. Right. They, they could be gossiping on both sides. Uh, mm. But, and then Paul continues, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Man. And I think how many of us love our church family so much that not only do we thank God for them, but we are joyfully praying, thank you, God, for Man. giving me this. Why? And Paul says, because they are partners in the gospel.
0: That's so important, right? We are active partners in the gospel. The gospel goes out to the world through the church. Now, listen to what I just said. The gospel goes out to the world Through the church. What is the church? It is the gathering of the saints. We individually go out and we preach the gospel. We must remember the Sunday service that we come together is not for this outreach mentality, if you will. Churches who actively invite non believers to the meeting of the saints have, in many cases, turned church into an evangelism outreach event. This incorrect emphasis on Sunday-sanctioned gospel outreach forces many pastors to adopt the lowest common denominator style of teaching, right? And it focuses on feeding the guest instead of feeding the committed, right? And see, the problem with winning people with flash and production and amusement is the moment that it all stops, so does the attendance, right? As a result, thousands of church leaders must continue the show, if you will, a frantic effort to keep their sheep from leaving by layering on more and more creative yet extra biblical ideas, right? For some churches, it's a professional worship band and a slick coffee shop and a bookstore, and for others, it's a new creative director, right? Right? and expensive landscaping. But whatever it is, it doesn't take long for a biblical Christian to realize that little of it has to do with the Bible, right? We must be very careful. We must ask ourselves, if we have innovated ourselves to a territory beyond the Bible, right? We must evaluate if what we are doing as a church matches us with what God is saying about us in His Bible, right? In His Word Are we living according to the standard of his word, right?
1: Yeah, and we see so many churches. I think of a church in California um, where they have a stunt artist. Right. Uh, They're with motorcycles. They have ramps on the stage. (laughs) They're jumping over cars. We have people with swimming pools in the middle of the stage, people with paintball guns. Right. Um, There was a church in North Carolina. I can't recall what church. Um, doesn't matter. They brought a camel up on stage. Wow. Um, we have clowns up on stage. Right. Um, but we see churches using worldly methods to attract people. Right. And we, if you use worldly methods to attract the worldly, it's only going to create a more worldly church. Exactly. Right. Um, a boat belongs in the water. Right. But water should not be in the boat. We are in the world, but the world should not be in us, mm. especially not in our churches. We are distinct from the world. We are in the world, but the world should not be in us, right? Jesus says, do not take them out of the world, but do not let the world be in them, right? We should not love the world.
0: That is such an important call. And, you know, obviously, when looking at the church, we have to look at the leadership of the church, right? We have to look at the uh, leadership. And when we look at the scriptures, when we allow the scriptures to be our standard for the way that it's structured, then we see right off the bat that we have biblical elders, right? Elders is such an important thing. And notice how I said that word plural. And the word elders, right, that, that idea of shepherds. It, these are pastors, um, multiple pastors. The church needs multiple pastors. We have uh, this, this practice of seeking out experienced businessmen, right, influential community leaders, uh, generous donors, and theologically inclined individuals to join the oversight of the modern church. And over the years, I've met several elders from popular Christian churches, people who are incredibly gifted, talented, brilliant, but they're biblically unqualified. And it's important that we understand that. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 through 7 is extremely clear on the qualifications of an elder or a shepherd, right? There should be multiple elders who are encouraging the church and leading the church, and and how they should worship, and and how they should encourage one another, and how they should discipline, and how they should uh, disciple people. Right? These days, you don't know how your pastor cares for his wife. Right? These days, you don't know how the pastor treats his kids if they are even submissive. That's a qualification, right? These days, we don't even know if the pastor is respectable. We don't know if he's even hospitable. We don't know if he's even a lover of money. These are all qualifications of a pastor. And if any of those are in his life in a negative way, he is not qualified. If your pastor is not respectable, if he's not hospitable, if he's a lover of money, if his kids are not submissive, if his wife is is just you know uh, completely in control and they're having marital problems, He's not qualified, but we don't know that because we don't have a transparent relationship with the leadership of the church, and that trickles down to the rest of the church, right? The leadership of the church should already be actively participating in the fellowship of the church. They should be obedient to the word of God to the extent that it is the model for which the rest of the church should be moving at, the pace for which it should be moving at, right? That's so important that we see that.
1: Yeah, and just very briefly upon on eldership qualifications, desiring to be an elder, I would say is a qualification. Right. But it is not the only one. Right. It doesn't matter how bad you desire to be an elder. Exactly. If you do not meet the qualifications for eldership, right. You are not an elder. You know, one of the qualifications is to be a husband of one wife. Mm-hmm. You may want to be an elder, but if you know you're not in it you're not faithful and uh to your wife right. in your marriage. I'm sorry, but you just don't meet the qualification for an eldership. And this isn't some sort of legalistic checklist, do this thing. These things are just extensions and overflow of the kind of man that you are.
0: Right. And it's important to understand that there is a plurality of elders for a reason. Because not only does the church need accountability those pastors need accountability yes. right and and i i i struggle with the idea of the senior pastor model if you will you know that there's just one senior pastor and then there's maybe some associate pastors a youth pastor and then there's the rest of the church no i, I think that we need to see the elders as greater among equals that one that teaches and preaches but he has the other pastors there to hold him accountable to be transparent with him hey brother where are you in In your walk with the Lord, right? Are you struggling with this sin still? Because if you are, we need to be able to hold you accountable and we need to be able to encourage you to overcome that, to repent from that, right? And there must be a, a biblical model of eldership in the church. And if there is not, then ultimately your church is leaning on one person to preach and teach. And that one person is the only one who is using their gifts to bless the rest of the church when there are multiple people possibly in the church who could utilize their gifts of preaching and teaching and encouragement and, and, and all these different things to build up the body of Christ. And so I, I think that that is a very important aspect of church leadership. Yes, right.
1: transparency with, right. uh, within the church leaders, evaluating their own life. Um, you know, as Paul said, testing yourself to see that you are in the faith. Absolutely. It's not like, oh, I graduated from seminary. I right. got this position. I'm here now. I'm, you know, I don't need to work on my own personal um, development. I don't need to, I don't need to work on my, I don't need to walk with Christ anymore. I'm already up here.
0: And you know? how, how amazing would it be if, you know, I, I went to seminary. Right. You're in seminary. Yes. And. You know, seminary is probably one of the, some of the best years of my entire life so far. And I think seminary is amazing. However, how amazing would it be if the church had its own seminary? Right, and I'm yes. not I'm not saying oh you know so that other men can come to your church and be trained. No, I'm talking about the men in your church being trained. If we had seminary in our churches, right, so that the training comes from within, so that we can see it within the direct context of the church that we are serving in, and and the pastors are taking younger men and training them. This is Titus too, right? Older women take younger women and teach them how to uh, love their husbands and take care of them. Older men take the younger men, right, and train them. This is the idea. It's so beautiful if the church works the way that it should biblically, right? Titus chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 3, that deacons are serving the widows and serving the tables and taking care of the, the physical needs of the church and serving in that aspect. And that deacons are a beautiful model of what discipleship looks like. If all of that was taking place, we would see a church that is thriving spiritually. But here's something that concerns me, Marcelo. One of the things that concerned me is that the church is one of the only entities that passively accepts mediocrity. Oh. It is one of the only entities that passively accepts mediocrity from its members. I mean, think about it. When you went to school, you were not allowed to be mediocre in your approach to school because then they were going to throw you in a remedial class so that you can get caught up, if you will at work, right? You don't get to just be mediocre about the way that you do things. Why? Because you're going to be replaced at work. You're going to be fired and somebody else will take over who actually wants to be there at home and many different things. I, I think of a, a heart surgeon or a brain surgeon, right? When I think of them who, let's say, let's take a brain surgeon who has to remove a, a tumor out off my brain, right? Do I want somebody who thinks they know how to live the life of a brain surgeon? No, I want somebody who has minimum five years of experience and can easily tell me, I know exactly what I'm doing. I could do this with my eyes closed, right? And I want them to give me the exact uh, uh, ratio of the risk that is taking place. You have 60% 60 chance of living and 40% chance of dying through this. And there are men and women in the church who have been in the church for two, three, maybe even four decades and they are still at the place they were when they started. And there are men in the church that if I go to them and I say, hey, can you teach me this theological principle? Or can you, can you disciple me so that I can be a man or woman of God? Many of them will say, I'm sorry, I'm not the pastor. I'm not qualified to do that. It's one of the only places where mediocrity is passively accepted. And that's a very scary thing. And that is because the leadership of the church is from a professional standpoint rather than a spiritually led perspective. And that's a very scary thing to think about. And so I am calling for our churches to grow our leadership, to be transparent, for transparency to come to the church so that we will see that mediocrity is not okay and no we're not going to judge you for it in the aspect of of how sh- you know shame on you for not growing in your faith However, man, we're going to push you, encourage you, build you up, love on you so that you are growing in the faith. And our older woman is going to take you by the hand and our older man is going to take you by the hand and we're going to walk with you. You're going to come to my home. We're going to get in the scripture together. We're going to pray together. I'm going to teach you how to pray. I'm going to teach you, man, I just wish growing up in church, somebody would have taught me all those things. I had to wait until I got to Bible college and seminary to learn half the things that I know about the scriptures, right? I should yeah. have known. Yes, And unfortunately, what happens in many churches, young men who have a thriving desire to learn more about the scriptures, those are the men that we would easily say, oh, he's called to be a pastor, right? No, that should be the minimum requirement of men in the church, that we have a longing and a desire to know Christ and to know who he is rather the men who are called to the ministry should be the men who are already ministering who are already preaching the gospel who are already doing the things right the example that i think of is is when we have a desire to go on a short trip a short mission trip i want to take a week and go to a foreign country to preach the gospel to uh, a bunch of people who I'm going to need a translator for. But unfortunately, I didn't spend the 364 days, or I I didn't spend the 51 weeks before preaching the gospel already in my home. Rather, I think I'm going to go to another country and preach the gospel. it's, It's that mindset. If we're not already doing these things, then how do we expect for the church to thrive spiritually, right? And that is what is so important. I I do not accept that a church can be passively uh, accepting of mediocrity in the church. We want to see men. We want to see women grow in their faith to become surgeons with the word of God.
1: Amen. Um, there's a an exercise I like to do. This reminds me of it. Um, I did it my first year as a Sunday school teacher with my high schoolers. Mm. Um, I don't. This is by no way a prescriptive um, exercise. I'm not telling you to go and do it too. <laughs> I like to do it just, to, you know, really get them on their toes. Right. Um, but I, I, you know, I just do it like a show of hands. You know, how many of you know Christ? How many of you are saved? And, you know, uh, everyone raised their hand. I'm like, okay. Okay. Those, and then I say, um, you know, those with your hands up in the air, what is the gospel? Mm. I'll ask them, what is the gospel? And right. silence. Right. Pin drop. Or I'll say, who wants to tell me what the gospel is? Not a single hand shoots up. Mm. And that's the thing. We are We are are not growing in our faith to where we are even able to explain the gospel. Right. And I I push forward this conviction. How can you know you were saved by the gospel if you don't even know what the gospel is? Mm. And that is what Paul, I I believe it's Paul, is getting at when he's saying some of you should be teachers by now. Yes. Some of you should be teachers. You have been in the church 30, 40, 50, 20 years you are exactly where you're at. You're still sipping on spiritual milk that they right. give babes in the faith, because right. they're not spiritually mature. They're not ready for the uh, more mature doctrines, if you will. Mm-hmm. There's some essentials they should know, but you know there is some things we cover as as we progress in our walk with Christ and our knowledge. But some of us are so comfortable in having the same spiritual milk that we do not desire real meat and diving deep into the Word of God. Man. The Word of God is a treasure to be explored. Absolutely. And so many of us are content and just skimming the surface. And the interesting thing when you were saying, um, like, you know, when there's a young man who loves the word and like, oh, he should be a pastor. <laughs> the Don Carson said that the extraordinary thing about the qualifications to be an elder is that they're they aren't extraordinary. These right. should be requirements <laughs> for every single believer. Absolutely. Every single believer should be above reproach. Every single believer should be a husband or of one wife or a wife of one husband. They should be a uh, they should be respectable. They should be, you know, blameless. Right. These are all qualifications for all believers, but yet we're so often leave as members leaving it just for the, the pastor or for the elders or for the uh, the older ones within the church. No, that's not for me.
0: And you know what's so dangerous about l- letting that standard be lowered, right, is that sin just easily creeps its way in, yes. right? Sin is not confronted. It's not dealt with. It just creeps its way into people's lives. And because the standard is so low for Every believer in the church, they just feel, "Ah, well, you know, surely everybody else is dealing with this, so I'm just going to be okay, right? And I want to think about something for just a moment, you know, Um, and this is kind of touching on the topic of church discipline. I I want you to imagine if we took all the unrepentant fornicators, adulterers, drunkards, addicts, sexually immoral, and liars that are in the church today, okay? Okay. And we place them on an island. Let's just say that it equaled 10 million people, all of them, 10 million, and we put them on an island. In five years, what do you believe the culture of that island would become, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. It would become, would it become more righteous or carnal? It would become carnal. Now, let's imagine for a moment that we as the church of Jesus Christ, allowed the population of that island to be imported back into 100,000 churches, 1,000 people from the island per church. What do we expect will happen to those 100,000 churches? Will the church's native population be able to correct the behavior of the newly joined members? Or will the church, regardless of the presence of the new congregants, not be changed at all? Wow. Think about that. That is a dangerous place that we must be very careful about. We must raise the standard in the church so that we see holiness as the basis, right? Holiness is the goal for which the church is reaching. The Apostle Paul says, certainly not. We will not. In speaking to immorality in the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? In other words, Paul is telling Christians that a little bit of tolerated sin in the church will eventually destroy the entire body and also tarnish the name of Christ. The church who does not practice church discipline, listen to me, the church who does not practice church discipline, but tolerates the presence of known, habitual, and unrepentant sinners is a sinful church. That's what Paul was saying. We must be very careful. If we as a church do not raise the standard for which we live, then we will allow our church to be sinful. I mean, this is not just Paul's idea even. Jesus himself calls for church discipline in Matthew chapter 18, right? He calls for church discipline. Anyone who is habitually in sin must be confronted Right, And this is not because we are holier than thou. I know there's so many people out there that, that, that look at church discipline as such a, a negative thing. It is with the hopes of reconciliation. That is the goal. We want this brother. We want this sister to come back to the faith right? If my brother or my sister who I grew up with my entire life and I loved them so dearly, if they just decided to absolutely squander their relationship with my parents and and leave and just live this ungodly life, I would be calling them day in, day out, please come back, right? It's not worth it, right? And the same should be true of any brother or sister that we see in the church who is in sin, Anyone named a Christian who's walking in habitual sin, whether that is viewing pornography or choosing to get drunk on the weekend, whether that's living with your boyfriend or living with your girlfriend, it should cause us to mourn as a church. We are to be so troubled with the existence of unchanging wickedness in our church body that we will obediently, not enjoyably, carry out the removal of that sin or that sinner, right? If we are not careful, we are doing what is right in our own eyes, and we are reaping the consequences of it. We need to adhere to the warning. We must, right? That's the importance of raising the bar in the church. That's the reason we have church discipline. It's so that we can purge from within us the sin that has so easily crept in so that we as a church body can be made holy right
1: as believers we are to judge the world in our righteousness right um but as jesus taught us teachings on his on hypocrisy by the same measure that we judge others the same measure will judge us so we either whatever standard we have we pray it's the word of god but whatever standard we have we too will be judged by it so we either need to if we're not living up to those standards. We either we either start living up to those standards ourselves, or we lower the standards. But we need to be transparent with ourselves. Yes. Before we're transparent with the world, we have to with we, we have to be transparent with ourselves.
0: You can't know about my sins unless I let you into my life. Yes. You know, and that's so important. I can't know about your sins unless you let me into your life. We must allow each other to be a part of each other's lives. That is the hopes of the church. We need to have lives that are integrated. That are, that are one together so that I can see it. And I don't judge you from an aspect of holiness. I'm not holy either. I'm a broken sinner who is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, but it is only because of the Holy Spirit that is within me. It doesn't sit well that you are in sin. And so one of the things that we have to see, the church is not a hospital for the sick. Rather, it is a military base equipping saints for war against the enemy. The enemy is currently trying to sift us out like wheat, and if we allow individuals to fall into sin, then we do not love our brother or sister. We hate them. If we're not willing to give them the truth, to call them out of that life, then we must understand something. It's exactly what Jesus said. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The gates of hell are trying to captivate so many people in the church. And if you think that the gates of hell stop at the doors of the church, you are sadly mistaken. We must understand, we as a church, in our discipleship, in our growing in Christ, we can bust through the gates of hell, overcome the gates of hell. They will not stand. That's what gates do, right? Gates are not this idea of some offensive weapon that come against us No, rather what's happening is gates come around something and keep something in. So gates of hell are trying to keep people within them, but they don't prevail. We will ultimately overcome the gates of hell, and we will win brothers and sisters to Christ who are captivated in the gates of hell and ultimately bring them to victory in Christ. That's the goal, and we do this by preaching the gospel individually as a church.
1: The devil um, isn't really trying to destroy churches. He's seeking to control them. Yes. And it all starts with lack of uh, church discipline. Yes. Lack of holiness. A lot of us have uh, been living under the lie that uh, once we give our life to Christ, right. there is no personal devotion. Right. There is no seeking my own growth and holiness. There is no growing in the spirit, becoming more mature. That is a sin problem, and it needs to be addressed. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Right. Why do we continue to walk with with sin, hand-in-hand, hand, letting sin into our, our lives? Mm. And if we are followers of Christ and we truly treasure him as we say we do, why do we make a habitual pattern of walking with sin? That's
0: good. I yeah. need to
1: be transparent.
0: That reminds me of Second Peter chapter two, verse nine through eleven. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you, who were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Peter said that so well. We are the chosen ones, the chosen race, a royal priesthood. We are God's possession. Let's live like it, right? And so with that, you know, in closing, the most fruitful and life-giving expression of the local church is a biblical expression, right? For us, the home has proved to be the best environment to support these biblical truths. Let's start teaching this in the home. Parents, take your kids disciple them grow them churches if there are kids in your church who do not have parents who are believers grab those kids teach them the way that they go teach them how to pray teach them how to study the word of god take the younger men take the younger women teach them what it means to live a life in christ and ultimately older men and older women in the church Make sure that your walk with Christ is one of leadership, one that exemplifies a life that has been filled with Christ, that has walked with him for decades, not as one who has been stuck in a certain place for decades, right? It's important that we understand this. Wherever you gather, your heart should be homesick for the place and a community of people who are crying out for God's truth, right? There are many places to look for ways that we could do church, but there is only one place to look for ways that we should do church, and that is the unchanging, immutable, and all-powerful Word of God. Amen. That's where we shape our church. Amen. That's important for us today. Amen? Amen, brother. Absolutely. Well, Marcelo, um, do you have any last encouragements for people that— uh, maybe listening in who uh, maybe are in a church that don't look at the church this way, or uh, maybe they are, have just heard this for the first time. What, what are some encouragements you might have for them?
1: I think realizing the it's an essential need of a church, right? The church is essential. A church is essential as a nursing mo- mother is to its baby. Man. A baby cannot grow or even live Apart from the loving care and protection of a mother, mm. a church is as essential as a husband is to his wife and a wife is to her husband right. in a marriage and a loving marriage. Mm. They are parents are essential to nurturing and caring for their kids and developing God fearing kids. You realize your church is essential. Mm. It's not the building itself, but it is your family member. So perhaps you are uh, currently, you haven't seen your members in weeks. Right. And you're you know mourning over that, you can call them, you can reach out to them, you can pray with them, yeah you, uh, you, we have various ways of contacting them in the meantime, we pray and trust sovereign of God to get us through this until we are able to gather together physically right but for now, we're remembering what unites us is not a, a, a row of seats, right it's Christ mm. Christ is who unites us
0: absolutely. And what unites us is not our special interest, right? Sports or, you know, anything else. It is Christ. It is Christ. We should all have a desire for Christ. And that is what brings us together. Amen. 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 Well, we hope that that encourages you, uh, that that uh, helps you to see church the way that the scriptures see church, right? Um, And that is our goal. Our goal in our podcast uh, is to always interpret and examine world truths, from a Christian perspective. Marcelo, how is um, a way that people can contact us or find us?
1: So we are cur- currently located on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Uh, we are at, under Truths Explained on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on Simplecast. You can just Google Truths Explained uh, Simplecast, and it will have a list of all of our shows, all of our episodes there uh, mm-hmm. for you to listen to.
0: And if you want to contact us, please uh, reach out to us on Facebook. You can find Marcelo on Facebook or myself. Uh, We are currently in the works of getting a Facebook page. And also um, feel free to email us at truthexplained at gmail.com. And so uh, we look forward to those comments, uh, those encouragements, the uh, possibly even uh, structural criticism that we might need. And uh, we definitely take it all very seriously as we do this for your benefit and for the glory of God. God. And so uh, I'm Nicholas Tovar.
1: I'm Marcelo Rodriguez. And as always, solido gloria.